Let's pray. Holy God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the day, the joy that you have given us. And through your word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, draw us ever closer to Jesus. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing our series called By Faith. And last week we learned about Zacchaeus and how God calls unlikely sinners to saving faith. And then what joy that was for Zacchaeus. So in the beginning of our faith journey, it's often very happy, very joyful. But it doesn't always stay that way. There are some headwinds that we might face. Some trials and tribulations, some storms, if you will. And what happens when you find yourself in such a storm? I mean, there are some thoughts that start to go through your head. You start to think, did God abandon me? Am I alone on this? Did I do something wrong? Why am I in such a storm? And then you start to have doubt. And then that doubt becomes a double-edged sword because then you start to even doubt that you have faith itself. And it becomes this really vicious downward spiral. I'm sure you can relate to something like this. But the fact is, having doubts is a natural part of what it means to be human. Even those who have faith have doubts. And if you doubt that, just read your Bible. Take a look at all of the people in the Old Testament. Read about Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Gideon, Jeremiah, Samuel. All of those had doubts. The great prophet Elijah doubted so much he was in despair. This is what it says in 1 Kings chapter 19. Then he, Elijah, was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servants there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Look, these people were people of towering faith. And we look up to them, and yet, at the same time, they were very human and all had their doubts. They went through storms in life. So for us to journey in our journey of faith is to also go through storms and to have doubts. But the crux of the matter is, what do you do with your doubts? Or you could put it this way, Do you have doubts, or do your doubts have you? You see, you can have doubts, and it can actually lead you closer to God. It can strengthen you during those times. Or you can feed your doubts, and they will fester, they will grow, and they will lead you away from God, they will lead you into despair. And you will forget not only what's important, but who is important. 
So do your doubts have you, or do you have your doubts? And this is what the story is, the account in Matthew. It's about Jesus. It's about the disciples. It is about doubt and faith. And if you want it condensed in one or a couple sentences here, here's the message for this morning. Jesus is, uh, is with you ahead of the storm and in the storm. That's an important one to get. Jesus is with you ahead of the storm and in the storm. Therefore, because of that, take heart. Listen and trust His Word. And then, even in the midst of the storm, give Him glory. That's our journey this morning. So let's begin with Jesus is ahead of you, is, is with you ahead of the storm. Immediately, He made the disciples get in the boat and go before Him to the other side while He dismissed the crowds. And after He had dismissed the crowds, He went up on the mountain by Himself to pray. So here's the context. Jesus has just fed the 5,000, but that would include only the men. So if you include the women and children, it's more like 10, maybe even 15,000. And it was wonderful that they fed, that he fed them. It was so wonderful that they wanted to make him king, an earthly king, because they didn't understand who Jesus was, who Jesus is. But Jesus didn't want that. So he told the disciples, look, time to go. You go across. I will stay here. Now, we normally take these verses and we just use them as a prelude for the miracle of walking on the water, right? We kind of like skip all these verses to get to the good part. But notice, what did Jesus do after he sent the disciples away? He prayed. He prayed. Jesus prays in the morning. He prays in the evening. He prays at night. Sometimes He prays all night long. He prays with people. He prays in solitude. He makes prayers of intercession for people. He inter Prayers of intercession around the tomb of Lazarus. On the night in which he was betrayed, he prayed for his disciples. He prayed for Peter. Even on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And in Hebrews, it says that Jesus not only prayed intercession, but he lives to intercede for us on our behalf. That is what he is doing in heaven this very moment, he is praying for you on your behalf. Jesus is praying for you even ahead of the storm. You are not alone in the storms of life. Christ Jesus is interceding on your behalf even before the storm begins. Now let's go into the storm. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. 
And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. They cried out in fear. So here's the context. Here's what's been happening. The fourth hour of the watch means it would have been anywhere between 3 and 6 a.m. Okay, we would say middle of the night or the early part of the morning, right? And they had been out rowing, could be up to six hours or more. If you think they left, let's say they left at 9 p.m. So by 3 p.m. or a little later, they were in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And it was a storm. Now, when we say storm, it wasn't this little tiny storm. It was a violent storm. You have to understand the Sea of Galilee is 680 feet below sea level. And there are hills, there are mountains that rise up on either side. And especially on the east side, they can rise up 2,000 feet. And what you get is you get all this cold, dry air just funneling down the mountainsides, and then it hits the semi-tropical air of the Sea of Galilee. And storms happen quickly without warning. And especially as those winds push out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and on top of this, the Sea of Galilee is very shallow. So the winds really kick up those waves. So when it says it was violent, It was torturous. They were being battered. They were scared for their lives. Think about what's going through their head. Where's Jesus? He's the one who sent us out here. How come He's not here with us? Do we take the wrong direction? Are we doing the wrong thing? What's going on? Now, I'm going to guess that you can probably relate to that in storms of your life. You think you're following Jesus, and all of a sudden something happens, and you think, hold on here, wait a minute. I'm in the middle of a storm. I don't even see Jesus around. Maybe maybe I'm not following the right path. Maybe he's abandoned me. You can relate to this, right? Now, by the way, Some of the storms in our lives are from our own doing. Let's not kid ourselves. If there's adultery in a marriage, that's a storm of your own making. If there's gambling, if there's alcoholism, addiction, if there's malicious gossip, all of these things, we make our own storms on that. So let's not kid ourselves on that. But yet there are times when we are following Jesus and we're still in the midst of the storm and we think, hold on here. Why is there a storm? Well, you have to understand one thing. That Jesus will sometimes send us into the storm. He will send us into storms. He actually already warned us about this, by the way. You see, to be a follower of Jesus, you should know that there will be storms because of your faith. And you just have to be aware of that. He warned us multiple times. For example, Matthew chapter 10, 
just a bit earlier in the book of Matthew. He said, do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I don't know about you, but family storms are some of the worst storms you can go through, right? Yeah. But there's work to be done. And think about Paul. Paul says he suffered for the gospel. What did Paul go through? Well, he was stoned. He was beaten with rod. He was uh, hungry. He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by a poisonous snake. Um, Oh, yeah, and he ended up being beheaded. Huh. Now, can you imagine somebody says, hey, I want you to be a Christian. Life's going to be so good. You're going to be a Christian. God is just there for you. You're going to get everything you want. By the way, this, what I'm talking about right now, is the gospel that often gets preached in many churches nowadays. It's called the prosperity gospel. God's just going to give you everything. As a matter of fact, God is there to make you happy. Is there any pro- But I don't see that promise. Do you see that promise? I don't. But the problem, and we see this a lot, with people who are engaged in that type of gospel, that type of teaching and preaching, when storms hit, so many people abandon their faith because of that. They kind of go, well, God didn't make me happy, so I'm going to give up on God. But is God here for our happiness? Well, he doesn't want you to be miserable, that's for sure. But Jesus is not, is not here just to make us happy, make up happy, <laughs> make us happy. He is here for our holiness, which brings us joy. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, it's hard to remember going through storms, right? This is hard to remember. As a matter of fact, we're often kind of torn up inside. The disciples were. They said, it's a ghost when they saw Jesus. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus' words, they cut through the storm. Notice, he didn't give an explanation. He didn't say, hey, let me explain this storm that you're going through. All he does is say, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. A literal translation would be, take courage, I am. And these are not simply small words of encouragement. They are strong, strong words of encouragement. And we find this throughout Scripture. Take a look at our reading from Psalm Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. From John 16, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. 
I have overcome the world. You see, God tells us, Jesus tells us again and again, take courage. I am. I am. That echoes back to the language that God used with Moses. That God used with Moses who was scared, who was afraid. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Not I will be, but I am. The sovereign God who is self-existent, who is timeless, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, says, I am. And there's no need to be afraid. You see, courageous faith comes comes not from how strong you are, but how strong he is. That's what Peter, that's what Paul was telling Timothy, his protege. It says this from our reading, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. You see, the courageous faith that Paul had didn't come from him working himself up, you know, like getting up my faith and my courage. It came from focusing on him who is and putting all of his faith, all of his trust in Christ Jesus to trust his word. How many of you know the group Casting Crowns? Not many. Okay, couple. If we had the rights, I would play this song right now. It's called The Voice of Truth. And it captures in some of the verses what we are covering here. It says, but the waves are calling out my name and they laugh at me. Reminding me of all the times I've tried and failed. The waves, they keep telling me time and time again, boy, you'll never win. You'll never win. But the voice of truth tells me a different story. The voice of truth says, do not be afraid. The voice of truth says, this is for my glory. Out of all the voices calling out to me, I choose to listen and believe the voice of truth. Jesus, who is the truth, says, take heart. Do not be afraid. It is I. So you hear the voice of Christ. Peter hears the voice of Christ. How would you respond? Peter said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you out of the water. He didn't say this. Get this. He didn't say, Lord, stop the storm first as proof of who you are, and then I will come out. He didn't say, okay, tell me exactly why this storm is happening in my life. And once I understand it, then I'll come out to you. He said, Lord, if it's you, command me, and I will. And so Jesus commanded him. He said, come. That's it. Come. It's short. 
succinct, it is a command. It is a command such as, take heart. That's a command. Do not be afraid. It's a command. Follow me. It's a command. Come. It's a command. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. There's the miracle, right? Walking on the water. Now, did Peter do that because he now had an ability to walk on water? Because he had such great faith in himself? No. Peter stepped out on his own, not because of his own courage, but because he trusted in the one who said, come. I don't know about you, but this is a difficult thing for me. I want to have the courage inside myself first before I go. But I have to listen to the voice that says, come. I was on a zip line one time. And we were there all strapped in, right? All safety precautions. And even talking about it, my hands sweat a little bit. I don't know about you, heights, you know? And so I'm there, and the, the woman who was at the top said, okay, now put your feet, your toes over the edge. And I said, okay. And she said, put your toes over the edge. I looked down. I thought I had done it. My toes weren't even there. I had to trust her that it was going to be okay. And obviously it was. I think I screamed all the way down. (laughs) But that's kind of like it following Jesus, isn't it? He says, come. Okay. No, no. Move your feet. I did. No. Step out of the boat into the water. Okay. And if we wait until we are already inside, until we have no fear left, we aren't going to take that step. But he says, come. Come to me. And he, we trust him in his word. You see, Paul, who went through all of those things, he said this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He didn't say, I can do all things because I am now strong, that I have built up my own faith. No, in him, in Jesus, who strengthens me. But you might say, well, I'm not good enough. Jesus says, come. You might say, I'm not sufficient. Jesus says, come. I am. But I don't know enough. He says, come, learn from me. But I might look foolish. And he says, they thought me a fool. Now come. But it will be hard. Yes, there will be storms. Come. Thus, with his eyes fixed on Jesus, in faith, the great I am, he stepped out of the boat and walked on the water. And now comes the next very human part of what happens when we step out in faith. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! 
Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? So why did Peter sink? Because he lost his focus. Rather than focusing on Christ, he became focused on his circumstances. There's a commentator, Richard Lenski. He said this, In that moment of fright, Peter's faith gave away. He looked at the terrifying wind and forgot Jesus, who was only a few paces away. And then he began to sink. When he felt himself sinking, he was afraid that the wind and the waves stirred up by it would engulf him. But this very fear that was due to what his eyes saw and his heart forgot made him instantly remember and turn to Jesus with a cry, Save me. You see, this is the relationship between doubt and fear, uh, between doubt and faith. We fear what our eyes see and forget what our hearts know. Or you could say, when we doubt because of what we see and forget what our faith knows. So when there are trials and tribulations, tasks at hand, we feel ourselves sinking, and then our heart says, you can't do it by yourself, right? Call out to him who can. So we cry out in faith, save me. And that's what we can do, right? We can cry out, to faith, in faith and say, save me, Jesus. And we cling to him and his promises, the one who actually can save us, the one who sees us go throughout the storm. This is what faith does. Faith fixes your eyes, your heart upon him who saves you, who can strengthen you. And then Jesus says, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? He says, don't you know who I am already? Don't you know? I mean, Peter had been there. He had seen miracles that Jesus performed. He had heard him preach and teach. And yet he had doubt. You of little faith. And I think that's for all of us in our walk, no matter how old we are. Sometimes we need to hear, oh, you have little faith. And that's why also we're going to get to the mustard seed in two weeks. Come to the mustard seed. He says we need to learn to trust him no matter the circumstances, to love him completely through it all. John wrote this in his letter, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. In faith we say, save me, knowing how much he loves us. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. You see, here's what happens when you go through a storm, when you go through trials and tribulations, they test your metal, don't they? They purify you. They sanctify you. They bring you into greater 
faith in Christ Jesus if you keep your eyes fixed on Him. Peter knew this. And this is why he could write to all of the Christians who are behind enemy lines. This is from 1 Peter. They were, behind, they were dispersed. They were behind enemy lines, so to speak, in the culture, just like many of us are today. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, this, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, when we fix our eyes upon Him, even in the midst of hard times, we can give Him glory. You know, we say, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And we mean that in the good times, and we mean that in the difficult times. Jesus is good all the time, and all the time Jesus is good. And we glorify Him in the good times and in the difficult times, in the quiet times and in the stormy times. To Him be the glory. And we can actually then say, Truly, you are the Son of God. It's quite a story about faith, isn't it? Quite an account. So, three things for you. Recognize that Jesus is ahead of the storm and with you in the midst of the storm. This is perhaps the most important one the one we most easily forget. Trust His Word and fix your heart, your mind, your soul upon Him. And no matter what, continue to give Him the glory. Let's pray. Jesus, we do give You all glory, honor, and praise. We thank You for interceding for us in all of our circumstances. Help us through the power of the Holy Spirit to fix our eyes upon you, no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen.